0: This podcast is brought to you by the City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from Dr. Coulter. Uh, So remember that uh, if you have a question, you can write it out. At the back I'll take a look at it and if if um, I don't think we're going to cover that particular question in the class I'll answer it the next week if I can and but I don't think we had anybody did we Shirley? no all right we have this big word redemption and so uh, the first class was supposed to be on healing and redemption but I put those other things uh, last week first. So we're still going to call this lesson one. So because uh, many people do not understand what that word means, they just think, well, you know, that means saved. I thought that we'd look into what redemption means and what happens to you when you give your heart to Jesus. What happens to you when you get born again? All the things I'm about to say happens on the inside of you. So the first thing we want to mention is that God has provided healing and redemption in terms of what Christ accomplished on the cross, the resurrection, and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Amongst all these other things that we're going to talk about, healing is included. So redemption includes regeneration, regeneration the secret act of god in which he imparts new spiritual life in us and sometimes called the new birth jesus answered in john 3 3 to 8 truly truly i say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, if I was reading that, I might want to have a question, what does it mean to be born of water? See, I would ask that question. I mean, I would write that out, so I would have to answer it next week. But because you all know the answer to that, then I won't tell you what that means. God prophesied that he was going to do all of this in Ezekiel chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Remember that when the Lord was dealing with people in the Old Testament, he was dealing with spiritually dead people. The New Testament is dealing with spiritually alive people. Pastor Brent in one of his messages recently said I thought was an interesting thing about the Old Covenant, New Covenant. He said the Old Covenant is things you don't do and the New Covenant is things you do. And the Old Covenant is things you don't do that you shouldn't do but you do. In the New Covenant you have things you can do and you can do it because God's love dwells on the inside of you. So you can't do the love because God dwells on the inside of you. You can't do all those Old Testament laws you're supposed to do because you're spiritually dead. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 says, and it sort of describes this experience. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us, all our trespasses. Ephesians 2, two and two four and five. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love wherewith he loved us, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So the thing is that you, whether you had any feeling or not, when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, asked him to come in and 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 believed in your heart and said it with your mouth, then regeneration happened, a new life, you became alive unto God. The second thing that happens is conversion. Conversion would be faith and repentance. God giving us the power to respond to the gospel call. In other words, when the gospel call goes forth and the person uh, in the pulpit is giving this There's a story about Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood, and so on, and gives a person the opportunity to, to uh, say yes. I think of I think of faith as a helicopter. And as hovering. Over, and as giving the person the opportunity to say yes. To say yes to to the Lord, because if you confess. Romans 10 9, 10 because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead You will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth confession is made and is saved So conversion is this response That you have to God Conversion then is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sins and place our trust in Christ, Galatians two twenty. I've been crucified with Christ; it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So now two things have happened already. You maybe haven't felt it, but you were regenerated; a new life came into you, and you were converted. So that now you actually want to respond to God. You want to live for God. You have this desire to live for God. You have desire to grow in the things of God. The third thing that happened is justification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God in which he, number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. And two, God declares us to be righteous in his sight. Now think of that. God thinks of us then as never having sinned. Justification comes on the inside of us. Um, uh, which will I read here? Romans five seventeen. Is that the next one I've got, Shirley? No. Okay. What's next? Five, um, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What's next? Romans 5.17? Ephesians 2.3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and whereby nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Ephesians 2.2, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at the work in, in the sons of disobedience. Romans 5.17, For if, one, if, if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive—I don't think that this is in your notes—Romans 5:17. You could put that in. For if because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign, reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. And also Second Corinthians 5:21 is not in your notes. You could put it down. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we got this new life. We've been converted. Now we have the ability to respond to God with faith and repentance. Now we've been justified that God looking at us as if we'd never sinned and him declaring us righteous in his sight. Can you imagine this? All of this happens on the inside of you when you get saved and you didn't do a thing to earn it. You didn't do a thing to earn it except receive it by receiving Jesus, as Savior and Lord. The next thing that happens when you get saved is, is, is adoption. Adoption is an act of God whereby he makes us members of his family. John 1.12, but to all who did receive him, he, uh, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. By contrast, those who do not believe in Christ are children of wrath. Uh, Ephesians two three Among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying a desire of the body of flesh and of the mind, whereby nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now it's a very interesting question. the the thing that the thing that I would think about, and the thing that I thought about lots, in seminary, when it came to that scripture. I thought to myself, "All right, that's great for me. You know, I mean, I, I've been regenerated, I've been converted, I've been justified. I'm part of the family of God. I'm adopted. But the rest of mankind is." is under the the wrath of God. Well, what about all the people who... Do you ever think this? What about all the people who died in the world before Jesus came? Never heard the gospel. What happens to them? It it plagued me, and I don't know if that kind of a question has ever... Crossed your mind? What happened? What happened to all these other people? Is it, did they all go to hell without a chance without an option? So I, I I struggled with that, and I thought to myself, think what I'll do is share share uh, an answer about that. Um, look in your Bibles to Acts chapter fourteen. Now, I'm going to get to the healing part in a minute, but the idea here is to help you understand redemption, helps you understand the character of God, that God is a God of love and, all, and always wants the best for us in this life and in the next. So, notice Acts chapter 14, verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting crippled from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying, uh, in, Laconian, in the Laconian language, the gods, small g, have come down to us in the likeness of men. <clears throat> and Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermas, because, of what, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Now listen. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. But notice what it said there. In days gone by, God always had a witness to people. Verse 17. Now, what was that witness? What would be that witness? Things that he, things that God did. Things that the the mind could not conceive, so that they would think, well, there must be a God. So God had a witness, but they had a problem. They have a problem with that. So, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them. For God has shown it to them. Notice. Remember he said he was not without a witness. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. "...being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things." Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So they knew there was a creator. You see? But rather than serve him, they served the creature who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even the women exchange natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and received, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, see, they had they knew, God gave them over to a base mind to those things which are not fitting, so on so on, so on. So the point is. That God always has a witness now things that I have heard for example About what missionaries have come across when they've come into uh, places where Seemingly there has been no uh, Nobody preaching the gospel ever because they go in there and they ask them have you ever seen a missionary from another country? And the oldest person in the tribe said no, there's never been anybody we never heard about this So they went in, this one uh, missionary went into a home and they had an altar to the unknown God and his son. Interesting, isn't it? And they wanted to know who this son was. So the missionary told them, it's Jesus, and this is what his name is, told him the gospel. They received just like that. No questions asked. So, So somehow they had this witness going on in their minds that they were not supposed to serve the creation. Now, a lot of the tribe had in their, in their particular homes had idols and all that. Uh, but this mother and her son didn't have that. They just had an altar to the unknown God and his son. It's amazing. Then they've gone into other tribes, which we've heard just recently, actually, gone into other tribes, and they, were sta- they, they had the Star of David and they were worshiping like the Old Testament. And the missionary said, how did you get all this? Like, there was these praise songs that they were singing, and it sounded like the Psalms. And they were wondering, how did they find out? Th- th- they said, we've always known this. So you see, there is, and, and there's hundreds of stories like that. I'll just give you two. But there is an, un- there is an understanding that God... Doesn't want people to not serve him his wrath is because of his love pastor Brent said it on Sunday morning He loves you. He loves them, but because he's a God of faith. It's necessary that somebody Says yes, I'm going to serve you by faith even though I don't see you But if I have to see something then I'm going to serve that which you've made and that doesn't make him necessarily happy So always remember, when you read scriptures like that, God always had a witness. I'll tell you one other story. Um, A gentleman in this particular tribe, they told this to the missionary, he died. And when he died, Jesus came to him when he died and said, I'm the true God, Will you receive me? And he said, yes, I'll receive you. He came back to life. So because God is not a respecter of persons, I'm assuming that this is what he does. He doesn't let people go to hell without an opportunity to say yes to him one way or the other. But why would that be true? Because God is in the business, God is in the business of creating a family, not a bunch of robots. That's why faith is the deal. You have to say yes by faith without seeing him because he wants to create a family. Well, I, we could go on and on and talk about that. But the fact is, I think I, I wanted to just share that with you. So here we are. We, we say yes to Jesus. We're regenerated. We got new life. We're converted. We now have faith to respond to God. We are justified, we become the righteousness of God, as if we'd never sinned, and now we're adopted into his family, and we're sons and daughters of God. Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7, is that the next one, Shirley? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So now we can call God Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Um, I'm going to read... Um, Romans 8.12 So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. So he's calling us brothers. Now, all right. So you can know, for example, you you can know that the word Adelphos, the word brothers, comes from The word Adelphos. All right, now you can know, for example, you can know that from the Greek language, but you can miss the whole thing. I had, for, I, had, I had professors in university that knew the Greek and Hebrew language backwards and forwards, but had no clue whatsoever about what that actually meant. So then, brothers, we're brothers and sisters, we could say. We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. We are brothers and sisters. God makes us brothers and sisters. In Christ, he's developing a family. You can know the Greek language, but miss the whole thing. Just miss the whole thing entirely. I can remember sitting, and the hardest class that I ever experienced in university was the Hebrew language. It took it for three years. I mean, it's just... I don't know what else to tell you. It's just a mess. But I took it from a professor who was a lovely man. But he had no clue. After all that, he had no clue about the new birth. Just absolutely didn't know. So I'm trying to point out a little something to you. If you would just take the English language and meditate on the Word of God, you will grow in faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So you ever want to grow in God? Just start meditating on the word. Okay, so now this has all happened to you when you got saved. Is it any wonder why people say when they get saved, something has happened to me they can't figure it out? something wonderful has happened doesn't necessarily have a feeling sometimes it does so the last thing i want to uh, uh, next thing i want to talk about in terms of our redemption is sanctification now this one takes our this one takes our cooperation the other ones that i talked to you about don't take our cooperation at all god just does it he just gives us regeneration, he gives us adoption, he gives us justification. He gives us all these things. Sanctification he starts us out so sanctification is a progressive work of God on man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Um, Romans six eleven to fourteen. Well, uh, I'll do um, Ephesians 5 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Sanctification, more and more like Christ. Um, 1 John 3 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. When you guys sin, you get convicted, so you, for, you ask for forgiveness. So what he's saying there, sanctification is this process whereby we don't want, we want to sin less and less. We want to become more like Christ. Uh, Romans six eleven to 14. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. This takes an act of our will, we are now cooperating with the spirit of sanctification on the inside of us. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Romans 6, 12, 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You, an act of your will. You were participating in this action of sanctification to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So in this concept concept of sanctification, God gives us initial sanctifying spirit. But then we cooperate with God in the future in terms of our growth to be more like him. And this is the only one in the process of redemption that we cooperate with. Okay, there's one other one here I want to talk about, and that is the perseverance of the saints. Those born again, so this says, those born again will, uh, will be preserved as Christians to the end. Now, this was a great debate. In the Reformation, the great debate between Calvin and Luther, Calvin said, once saved, always saved. Luther says, well, it's possible that you could go back on God and and so on. So just for the purposes of this particular class, I'm going to take Calvin's point of view. Perseverance of the Saints. John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My God who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. He is greater, greater, greater father you're greater than all you are greater greater father you're greater than all you're greater than failure you're greater than sin you're greater than all of the bad things i've been and no one can pluck me from my father's hand because father you're greater than all you are greater, greater. That blesses me. I could sing all afternoon here and all evening, but I won't. John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. You see, there's no end to eternal life. Now, you can be a real poor Christian. You can be a terrible witness. But there's something about those scriptures that you have to take into consideration. So I'm going to call it the perseverance of the saints. The last one about in terms of regeneration is glorification. This is resurrection. But God puts this in you when he gets saved. His presence, the Holy Spirit, his presence is his glory. But glorification, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is the final step in the application of redemption. It will happen when Christ returns and raises the dead, the bodies of all believers <clears throat> for all time who have died, and reunites them with their souls and changes the bodies of all believers who remain alive, thereby giving all believers at the same time perfect resurrection bodies like his own. 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 51, and 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Then um, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 3.16, is it? Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? The glory of God. Go to 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So when we get saved, our spirits contain the glory of God. Now glory gets stronger and stronger as we participate in this sanctification process. The presence of God becomes more real Come more alive unto God, serving him, loving him. <clears throat> Probably demonstrated by you being here tonight, you, you folks. The hungry, the hunger. Come out on a rainy night, Wednesday night, working all day. Hunger for the things of God. But the glory of God is on the inside of you, going from one degree of glory to another, so that when, when Jesus comes again, The glorification is not something totally new, but it'll be totally manifested where you'll lay down the body, and your body will, the body that you have, and you get a new body, a glorified body. And then those who are dead in Christ, their spirits unite the molecules, all come together. I don't care if you throw them out into the ocean. They'll all come together. New body, up you go. Because the glory of God is in you. I don't care if you cremate or not. The glory of God is in every one of those little spots. All comes together. And up you go. All of this happens to you when you get saved. On the inside of you is the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the glory of God. That gives, you, that gives you some concept of the character of God for you. The character of God for you. He wants you to realize who you are in Christ and what belongs to you and what you have. Now, because Jesus lives on the inside of you, then you have his name that you can use. We talked about that a bit back last week. But God never changes. Jesus never changes. All of whom God is, Christ is. God reveals himself by his names. Therefore, whatever God calls himself, that he's calling Jesus. So when redemption, when Jesus died and provided redemption, he also provided redemption healing for your body. But I want you to see the character of God again in... I don't have the time up there tonight. I want you to see the character of God in here in uh, his names. Notice the first one. Now, God, don't forget God's names. It's also revealing who Christ is on the cross. Jehovah Shammah, Ezekiel 48:35. The, circ- the circumference of the city shall be eighteen thousand cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be what? The Lord is there. God is present, Jehovah Shama. And this is what Jesus says: He's present with you. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our Provider. Abraham said, God will provide, Jehovah, or sometimes called, pronounced Yireh. Lord will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner, or the Lord our conqueror. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord, who is your banner or your conqueror, lives on the inside of you, and he wants you to conquer anything in your life that's a distraction or hurt. He wants you to be a conqueror. Judges 6.24. The Lord is our peace. Jehovah Shalom. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Oprah Winfrey's place, (laughs) (laughs) which belongs to the Abrazites. The Lord is Peace. See, on, on days of stress, The Lord who is peace dwells on the inside of you. We just stop for a moment, look down in your spirit, and claim that peace. Have it come up and affect your mind. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my pastor, the Lord is my leader and guide my caregiver on the inside of you. Jehovah sit you, the Lord, our righteousness. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will be securely, uh, securely, will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah sit you. Jehovah Rapha, The Lord, our healer, See, understand, because the Lord is your healer, then healing is in redemption. It's part of the adoption. It's part of the justification. It's part of all of that. The Lord, my healer, Exodus 15. The last part of it says, for I am the Lord, your healer. So God does not change. Uh, Let me just give you a couple of others here that I don't have in my notes, I don't think. Is that the last one in your notes, the name of Jehovah? Is that the last one? Do you have others in there? You have El El Elyon? Do you have uh, Elohim? Um, Okay. So God and Jesus do not change. For Malachi, let me just see. Let me just see here. Do you have a scripture for uh, Elohim? Genesis one twenty six. Okay, do you have... Um, El Genesis 14 Okay, good So the point is that God Now he never changes Malachi 3 6 for the Lord for I the Lord do not change Hebrews 13 8 Jesus Christ the same yesterday today and forever James 1 17 every good gift and every perfect gift is from above Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation No variation. Not even a slight change. No variation. So God remains all of those things. God's character is all of those things. Um, Let's go to Isaiah chapter 9, 6, I think. Yeah. So understand, understand when you're talking about Jesus, Always understand you're talking about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. First Timothy three sixteen. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, no. Having a conscience when you are slandered. I don't think that's uh, First Timothy three sixteen. Let me just check. 1 Timothy 3:16 is and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God was manifested in the flesh see that's Jesus Titus 2:13 waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior Jesus Christ John 8:58 Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, that bothered, you can imagine, the Jewish people. Because Jesus was claiming to be God because they understood Exodus 3.14. We got it? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this to the people, I am has sent me. So God called himself, I am. And Jesus said, I am. God. Jesus was claiming at that moment to be God. Imagine how they must have, it must have seemed to them. But always remember in your thinking, Jesus was God manifested in the flesh doing everything that God the Father revealed in himself that he wanted to do for you. So everything that God the Father did for you, Jesus did it too when he died on the cross. Uh, Genesis 17.1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, "I am God Almighty. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless." Almighty God. Do you have that in your notes? Write it in. And it's I'm Almighty God. And the word Almighty is comes from the Hebrew word El Shaddai. El and then Second word, capital S-H-A-D-D-A-I. El Shaddai. Almighty God. A God, for instance, who's more than enough. A God who dwells on the inside of you. God who dwells on the inside of you. Let's see if I can do this. El Shaddai. So I took this from this guy three years. In the Hebrew language, the consonants are above the line. And the vowels are below the line. The vowels are pointed. In the original Hebrew language, there was no vowels. It's all consonants. And then later, the Masoretes put vowels in. Made, it, made a, a headache for the rest of us. So the guy knew how to do that. He knew that was El Shaddai. He had no clue that El Shaddai lives on the inside. So that's what I'm trying to put out to you. You don't have to know the Hebrew language to understand the gospel. You don't have to know Greek to understand the gospel. So it, it, here is, I am Almighty God, and that means I'm more than enough. Almighty God. He's, more, he's living on the inside of you, and he's more than enough for any situation and any circumstance. And I think I'm just going to keep going here until uh, till I finish this thought. Turn in your Bibles to Joshua 10. Joshua 10. Joshua judges. Genesis, Acts of X number Deuteronomy, Joshua. Joshua 10, 12 to 14. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord. Now, Joshua was in a battle, and he was winning, but he needed more time in order to complete the job. So you can read all that on your own. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of a- Ajalon. So the sun, the, sun, the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasser? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for a whole day. So in other words, God stopped the universe for a day. Everything stopped now. You see it's an impossibility for science scientists to get this because they say all kinds of natural Disasters would happen if the earth stopped on its axis But see God is so powerful that he can do something like that and not affect anything So if God can stop the universe Do you think he can solve your problem Do you think he can heal your body? You think, and there's more than healing. There are miracles available. There are miracles available. I'm going to tell you about some of them that happened to me after the class. After this break, and I'll tell you. You'll notice that in your notes, there's a lot of scriptures that I don't read because I can't read them all. Always, you'd be here for till um, Christmas. So I just pick out certain ones. So I'm going to tell you a story in just one second. I want you to look at Romans 9, 5 again. Because Jehovah Rapha, who is the Lord, our healer, is Jesus is that Jesus is manifested in the flesh. So he's the Lord, our healer, Jehovah Rapha. Romans 9, 5 is another scripture. To them uh, belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Hebrews 1, 8 is another scripture. "But But of the Son, he says, this is the Father saying, Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, the Father's calling Jesus God, is forever and ever the scepter of unrighteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Uprightness, rather, is the scepter of your kingdom. So Jesus Christ in Hebrews uh, Hebrews, um, 3.18, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he, like God, is the same, and he's on the inside of us, And I I wouldn't think that there's anybody alive who's plumbed the depths of all who God is on the inside of them. But when you find out and when you meditate on this and realize this, then you can see where God wants you to have the definition. He wants you to have as sons and daughters the definition of health. He wants you to have the definition of provision. Prosperity, could you say? The definition of victory, the definition of success. Do you ever think about this? The Bible says that how can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they be sent? Somebody has to have some money to send preachers to preach the gospel across the world. That's why God wants his people Blessed, so you can give offerings and tithes to send people or to give to organizations that are preaching the gospel. How can they hear? How can they go? When you go to Air Canada, you don't walk up and say, I'm preaching the gospel. Could I have a ticket? Somebody has to send them. So God wants you prosperous enough so your own needs are met, plus you can meet the needs of other people and the kingdom of God. So I just feel impressed to tell this story, although I had it away in my notes later. feel impressed to tell it tonight. That God is a God who is the same yesterday and he's on the inside of you. So when I was in Bible school, this would be 19... Uh, 19- 1959. 1959 is the first year, right? 1959. <clears throat> I was taken with what they call polyarthritis. <coughs> and uh, it started, I remember t- brushing my teeth one morning, and the the uh, toothbrush fell out of my hand. I thought, yeah, that's funny. So over the next weeks or so, I noticed that my... Joints were stiff. I couldn't bend my elbows. And then I, my knees. And so one day I couldn't walk. I ended up in a wheelchair and they took me to the hospital. So they took me to the hospital. And I was lying in bed. And um, I remember trying to form my mole. I call it trying to whistle to get the nurse i couldn't they had a they had a buzzer tied to my bed and so i i couldn't reach up to get the thing and so then apparently at the same time as this experience i think that was the second day in the hospital the the school all came together for a prayer meeting specifically to pray classes were uh, suspended. They prayed for the day in the chapel for me. So I'm lying in the bed here trying to speak or blow whistle, totally paralyzed. Severe case of polyarthritis. And so as I'm there and I'm lying there and I'm thinking and I'm praying in on the inside of me and a presence, I thought it was actually the nurse first, came in my room. I now believe it was Jesus, but I couldn't see anything, except the whole uh, room lit up. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm speechless lately, like, almost the hair stands up on your head. It's such a presence of God. And it came into me, top of head, sole of my feet. So I thought, well, I don't know. I'm like half in unbelief and half belief, you know. So I thought, well, I'll just give this a try. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever been in the hospital. You have these skirts on. It's a good thing nobody was in the room at this moment. So I, put my, I took my leg out from underneath the thing and put it down. Nothing wrong with that knee. Nothing wrong with that knee. And I bank. Moving. Now I'm starting to praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So I. So then I could hear that the they had this deal where all of the doctors and the nurses and and the interns were coming down to check me out. So I jumped into bed. yeah. You know? Fold the covers up. So they said, well, how are you doing today? I said, just fine, thanks. And I said, you want to see something? So I put the leg out, put the leg out, and I stood up, went like this. Well, you need to stay in another day at least, you know, to check me out. And the thing was, they took blood for another couple of days, and there was no sign of it. Completely gone. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He's no respecter of persons. He wants you to be healed. But it always starts in your spirit. Now, if there's anything you get, I hope you get this. Because God is a spirit. Faith is spiritual, healing is first spiritual. Starts in your spirit and goes from your spirit out to your body. Because in that moment I knew that I knew before I stood before I went out with my leg, I knew I knew that I was healed. It starts in there. And if you don't get anything, get this. Most of the time I want to keep repeating this because people most of the time healing is gradual. And this is why people don't, manage, don't, don't get totally healed because, because they, don't, they think it has, always has to be instant. So they get prayed for and nothing happens. They think they're not healed, but the healing, because you prayed, the healing power of God went into you. Now it's a matter of just believing that you received it. This is why you got Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray... Believe you receive it, then you shall have it. You don't have it and then believe it. You believe it and then you get it. You believe it, then you get it. Whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe what? That the healing power goes on the inside of you? Believe you receive it and then you shall have it. Just like the lepers. As they went... As they went to see the priest, they were healed. It was gradual. But the guy said, when did my son get better? Well, he started getting better at the ninth hour or whatever it was. So this is what happens. Now, in my case, it was like a one- or two-hour deal. I mean, I I told you the story in, in, you know, uh, in the second's. But this is what God wants for people. He wants you healed. And so it changed my life forever when it came to understanding God, understanding healing, understanding the character of God. And it didn't matter what class I was in after that. It didn't matter what they said. I believed it. I believed that God heals. Didn't matter what professor said, what? Because it happened. And I know it happened. So because and because God is no respecter of persons, those of you who are sitting in this room with a malady, when you prayed one time, or when you had hands laid on you one time, God is faithful and the healing power of God went into you, but maybe you didn't know about Mark eleven twenty four. Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe you receive, and you shall have. Then maybe you didn't know you're supposed to believe you received. Maybe you had hands laid on on your Sunday morning by one of the uh, one of the leaders. Well, nothing particularly happened to you that you could feel. You still had the pain, whatever. But in the face of contradictory circumstances, in the face of symptoms, God said to believe that you received the healing. All right, so Christ died not only to atone for our sins, but also for our sicknesses and our diseases. In Isaiah 53, 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs. That's how many times that is translated griefs. Which is really sicknesses and carried our sorrows, which is pain Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted Then verse 5, I don't think I have that but he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquities Chastisement of our peace was upon him. with his stripes We are healed So when you see in, in your translation the word griefs understand it means sicknesses I think I have that in your notes and when you see the word sorrows, understand it means pain. So God, so Jesus bore this on the cross. The word, the Hebrew word for grief or sicknesses, is the word kilo, and it would be found in a, a scripture like First Kings seventeen seventeen. I think I've got that written in your notes somewhere. After this, the son of woman, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill kilo, and his illness kilo was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Um, the word for sorrows is the word for pain macabre, translated so in job chapter thirty three in job chapter thirty three verse nineteen Man is also rebuked with pain. That's translated sorrows then in Isaiah. on his bed and, and with continual strife in his bones. Now it's very curious to me, has been for years, why translators do not translate that scripture in Isaiah, that sickness and pain. And sometimes I think that, now in, other, in many translations it is, but I think it has to do with theology. Many theologians don't believe that sickness and disease was in redemption. that that's not part of redemption. It's, in other words, God heals sometimes, we can't figure it out. But other, other times he doesn't, because some people you know, get prayed for and nothing happens to them so to speak. But you can't make the judgment on fleshly things. You can't determine whether I'm healed or not by the fact you still have symptoms. See, because healing starts on the inside of you in your spirit. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at the